Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Am I on? Am I on? What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Y'all good? Y'all good? It's lit. Uh, first of all, uh, <laughs> no, real talk. Um, yo, it's 2018, y'all. Um, how, was, how was 2017 for y'all? It's okay? It was all right? Good? It was a little rough. I had some rough patches, y'all. Uh, real talk, man, I just want to say, first of all, let's give a big round of applause. Let's give love for every single leader here, every single pastor, every single person on staff. And I'm not just saying this. I'm not just saying this because James said nice things. I truly mean this with all of my heart. The reason why I decided to be a part of this church is because I saw a group of leaders who were willing to sacrifice uh, comfort for the calling right? Comfort for the calling, right? That means uh, living space. That means even maybe sometimes food in their own stomach just so that they can serve, right? So we have a group of leaders here who are willing to sacrifice their comfort for the calling of God, not only on their lives, but to serve this city and to serve Brooklyn. So please, with all of your love and with all of your heart, let's please give it up for Pastor James, his wife, Tarsha, Rasul, Tamika, Josh. I mean, I, I mean, like, really give it up. I'm not, I don't want, I'm not here... Like, this is the thing. Because I'm, because I'm not a pastor, I don't play church. I'm really here to, like, turn up for the Lord, right? Can y'all turn up with me? This is my thing. This is my, <laughs> this is my thing, man. I done got, like, I'm up here because I need Jesus. Like, for real, for real. I'm not playing. This is not, like, an act. You saw that? This is not like an act. I'm really here because I need God, and I'm really inspired by the leaders that are here. Um, so I love you, and I thank you. And this move that you're doing to Flatbush is phenomenal, and it is amazing. And there are marginalized people there who need God, that there are depressed people out there who need the word of God. And I love you, and thank you so much for doing it. It is brave, and you continue to sac- We can stay here, y'all. This is nice. Did you see? There's a Beacon's Closet right there. Have you tasted the pizza right there? Shake Shack is right there. We could stay, but we're moving, y'all. So let's give it up for that. Um, I think that's amazing. Um, Yeah, so, man, listen, I just want to speak on something simple, uh, something that I think I experienced a lot in my time uh, as an artist, as a professional artist, as a touring artist. Uh, I think something that uh, God was really teaching me through the arts that I wasn't even really particularly getting in a church, but I was living it out. And I hope that it inspires you, right? Uh, A couple of ground rules. Uh, You can turn up. That's my thing. I don't necessarily want you to shout me down. I just want uh, this to be an active conversation, right? we're in a conversation, things happen. Oh my God, no. Amen. Oh, that was for me. Oh, that was for you. Like all of that (laughs) is acceptable in this place, right? So if you hear something that inspires you, mm, right? Like, yes. Like all of that is acceptable. So I just want to say that. So, you know, a lot of times I get up here and I see people like be inspired and they like hold it. They go, "Mm." Well, I'm going to clap as soon as this is done. We can turn up in here. So that's just one thing, ground rules. Um, so, yeah, I want to speak on a subject uh, today, again, that I think is important, particularly because I think it connects to the mission of this church. And uh, the, the topic is called the captive next door. 
right, the captive next door. And uh, it's something that I've been thinking about, something that has been heavy on my heart for years. I uh, taught like a small little Bible study in St. John's University, and we'll go through some of the scripture that I read that really inspired this message, but the captive next door. Let's pray. Um, God, we thank you. We thank you that you would take ordinary people to speak a supernatural word. Uh, God, I pray that um, although you've given me the gift of performance, that this won't be that. God, that this will be something true. Lord, that this will speak to your people. Father God, I pray that it will inspire, Lord. And, and if you look at the word inspire, it means to breathe in, to breathe through. Um, Lord, I declare that you are here right now. That we don't need to, to fight to get you here, that you are here, that you are ever-present, that you continually, every single time, always show up in a way that reminds us you've been there the whole time, the whole time. So, God, if you're here right now, Lord, like a key, I pray that you open the hearts of every single person listening to this message, God. Anything that is stopping us from getting this message, any pain, insecurity, any stresses, Lord, we pray that we leave it right there on Fifth Avenue, outside the door. God, we don't want it. We don't need it. The only thing we need is you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Ah, oh, we can't thank you enough. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, yeah, I just want to start off with this. Uh, so, I think, especially in New York City, right, every time you meet someone, what's the first thing they sort of ask you? Like, yo, what do you do? Right, what do you do? What do you, what do, you do? Like, what, what, what you got? What you got to show me? And I think I've been plagued with this question for my whole entire life. The question is, what are you called to do? right? Like, what are you called to do? Why are you here? What's your job? You got a job? You got a 401k? What do you do? What are you called to do? And I, in particular, in a particular fashion was, uh, this question was pushed upon me very early, right? I'm a first generation American, right? Uh, yeah, I'm Haitian. So my, hey, all my Haitians, hey, what happened? Good to see you, baby. Yes, the Haitians are here. Um, Sac passe means what's up for those who don't know in attendance. Um, and I remember early in my life, I remember being uh, sort of in my room playing Power Rangers, and my dad would kick open the door. He's like, hey, what are you doing? What are, do you have a job? Go get the job. I'm like, bro, I'm eight years old. Like, you need to fall all the way back and chill. But um, it's funny. <laughs> James spoke about, like, the highlight reel. But we're going to talk about the behind the scenes because it, it was really crazy. I, um, I didn't grow up really with a promising future. I was a young kid, uh, first generation American. Wasn't really Americanized until uh, high school, really. So, like, eating at McDonald's was like a luxury, right? Um, right? Oh, McDonald's. Why, why do you want McDonald's? I cook. There's soup jumu in the... In the, in the. <laughs> Did y'all get the soup? Yo, anyway, I was drinking the soup all the way until May. And I was like, yo, January. Anyway, um... But I think, yeah, I, I just sort of was like always plagued with this question, but I was a terrible student, right? I wasn't book smart. I wasn't book smart at all. I left high school, I left my junior year of high school traveling, uh, ch uh, transferring to an alternative high school with a 55 average. That is like below failing. Like failing is 64. I was below. I was under, like this is where, this is where I was below it. Um, so I didn't really have a promising future in academia, right? Um, I was a basketball player. I hooped, right? But I started too late to actually go far with it. And even when I did show some promise, I was, I was completely riddled with injury, right? So it was a wrap. I was breaking my kneecaps. Let me tell you, I got injuries, y'all. So it, like, I didn't have any future until I found poetry. So I started doing poetry, and um, I finally found my calling, finally found the thing that I think God wanted me to do, right? But 
First of all, anyone who wants to be a professional artist, you're, you are signing up for a level of suffering you have no idea, right? You oh, Come on, where the artist at? Can we, right? You don't know when you're going to eat. You don't know when you're going to eat. Like, you know, people say, oh, I'm sick and tired of living a paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes I didn't even know if a paycheck was going to come. Sometimes I was getting cash. Like, listen, man, it was the struggle. I used to spit poems on the train for money to eat food because I had nothing, right? So I found this thing called poetry. I was working with different nonprofit organizations, trying to serve. I was, I was a teaching artist. I was doing all these things. And for some reason, I couldn't shake that the very thing that God was calling me to do was causing me so much suffering, right? It was causing me so much pain. But you know, there were blessings, right? I do this poetry thing and I'm doing it for a couple of years, but while I'm doing it, I'm homeless. Me and my family have no place to live. Our debt was skyrocketed all the way through the ceiling. Uh, you know, I was couch hopping for three years. Three years. So much so that I was on tour once and they, like, gave me a hotel room. I was so used to not having anything. They gave me a hotel room and I was like, oh, this for me? And they were like, yeah, it's for you. And I remember I laid and I fell asleep on a bed and I cried because it was the first time that I had slept in a bed in three years. When I was couch hopping, I was, see I was sleeping in my uncle's house on a love seat. I'm 6'3". I was on a love seat. It was half my body. I still have back problems from it right now, right? So I was going through all this turmoil, but I was still doing God's work. But I'm like, why am I going through all this pain? But, you know, great things happen. I end up going to a school named uh, the American Academy for Dramatic Arts, right? Ada, all day. We got people up in here in the building. But while I was there, I was still broken. I couldn't tour and do poetry as much. So I remember being in constant hunger. I remember going downstairs to this little cafe called Tasty's, and I used to get the sample cup of soup and some free crackers that the dude, that the dude would let me have, and I would eat it for lunch because I had no money, right? But then more blessings came, right? I ended up getting a full scholarship to St. John's University, and it was great. It was amazing. And then, you know, I started to, I was touring full time, so that was amazing, and I was making money. But even when I was doing that, I was out of community. I was out of community because my calling was calling me all over the world, right? It was calling me all over the world, and I couldn't really, and I felt lonely all the time. And then I get another blessing. I go to NYU, graduate acting program. I love it. Love it. Changed my life. But I saw my wife one hour out of the day, every single day, because the calling kept me so busy that I had nothing for myself, right? Nothing for myself. So even going through all of this, I had to ask myself uh, two questions, and the two questions are... Oh, no, let me, let me actually go back. Then I get Hamilton. It was great, right? But before I got Hamilton, there was about maybe three months of just straight struggle. Had $10 in my account before I booked the gig. Ten, a Hamilton. A Hamilton. I had an A Hamilton in my account. Before, don't you see how God works? Great is your mercy for me. Real talk. Real talk. Credit card charge that we had just moved. You know, I looked, I looked my landlord in the eye. I was like, yeah, I can pay the rent. Had no idea. Completely living on faith. But I'm like, why? Why is the very place that God is calling me causing me so much pain? Why is it? And then I had to ask myself, why should I press forward? in the midst of this turmoil and suffering? These are the two questions I wrestled with every single day. To be honest, I still wrestle with. It's so crazy, y'all. Last night, I was leaving the theater and I, had, and I was wrestling with these questions. I was tired. Yo, this is my first time in church in six months since I booked the gig. I've been out of community. I've been lonely. But I also know I am where God has called me to be. So what is this thing? 
What is it? Why is it? Why, like, why is that happening? God, like, I, I, listen, man, I had to be honest. There were so many laments that I grew with this level of spiritual pessimism that was disgusting to me. I couldn't even believe I had the spiritual pessimism as someone who claims Christ's name as my Lord and Savior. I would wake up every single day and people would be like, God is good. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Right? Attributing these terrible things to God's nature that are not a part of his character at all. Right? So, and I don't know, I don't know if anyone is in there right now, right? I believe that there are people right now in here that God has called you to a particular place, right? And you are in, you are in I, I, I think I saw this, you are in alignment and you are in assignment, but you are suffering, be it lack of financial stability, being uh, lack of community, being sometimes being overfilled with self-doubt, with hate, with fear. God, why do you have me here? Why do you have me here? And then really when I was touring and I was going through all of this, I... Uh, this is when I really started opening my Bible and really trying to figure it out. Um, and uh, I read this story that I think just really uh, changed my life. It really changed my life, and it really changed my perspective of what I have, and I just pray and hope that it blesses you. Um, so we're going to go into the book of Acts. The book of Acts I particularly love. It's written and it's penned uh, by Luke, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, so it's sort of like a two-parter. Um, what I particularly love about the book of Acts is that uh, it is really a, a, a series of eyewitness accounts, right? Like people who saw the thing. Like you ever talk to someone who saw the thing? Like, nah, yo, I was there. Like anyone who like saw the Mayweather fight? Nah, I saw him. Knocked out McGregor. Boom, I saw it. I was there. Like that's what the book is filled with, eyewitness accounts. Eyewitness accounts, but also really the movement of the early church, right? The first Christians, the people who are first like lifting up Jesus's name and running around and doing it. But what's particularly moving about this text is that it walks through people. It walks with people who are literally suffering because of the calling. Every single time. Like, and when I say persecution, I don't mean like people talking like smack about you on the internet. I'm talking about death. Let's be clear. I'm talking literal death. I'm talking and 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 state sanctioned death. Right? Like people saying, We're going to kill you and we're gonna be okay of it just by lifting up the name of God. Period. Like that's what we're talking about here. Um so it just gives us a little bit of context. We follow these two, um, these two dudes. We have Paul, right? Paul who gets this dream. He gets this dream of a man in Macedonia. And, and in this dream, this dude's like, come, we need you. We need you. So literally, he's answering the call. He believes that this is a call from God that is telling him to go to this place, right, because they are in desperate need of the gospel, right? You with me? You still with me in this story? Because I, when I tell stories, I'm like all over the place. You with me, right? Cool, cool. Um, so he's answering this call. And he ends up going, and not only was he going to, so he ends up going to Philippi, right? And if you think about it, Philippi was a large Roman colony, but also the leading city of Macedonia, right? So they're going into like the epicenter. That's like if God was like calling you like, yo, man, I want you to go to the East Coast. And someone's like, all right, let's go to New York. You know, it's like really the epicenter of what was like, of the fire that was happening, right? That's like, it's like, yo, we should go to, we should go to New York City. And they're like, all right, let's go to Brooklyn. All right, you know, we, oh, we're going to Brooklyn. All right, you know, no, let's go to Flatbush, right? This is literally what it is, going to the epicenter of where fire was taking place. So we pick up right here in Acts uh, chapter 16. It'll be up uh, verses uh, 16 
verses 16 through 24, right? So, y'all with me? Y'all with me? We following? Cool. So, this is Luke here. He's speaking. He says, once we were going to a place of prayer where we were met by a female slave who had the spirit by which she predicted the future. A spirit by which she predicted the future. Uh, she earned a great deal of money for her owner, her, for, from her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Right. So she's just going around mm -mm, hating. Boom. Right. Hating. Just straight hating. But in this moment. Yeah. Right. Um, but in this moment. Right. They said that she kept this up for many days. I don't know how many, many days are, but I can't handle people screaming at me literally for 20 minutes. But many days she kept this up. Many days she kept this up, and it says, finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to get out of her. Interesting, right, that he spoke to the spirit, not her. He said, I command you, get out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Now, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. And this is when it really gets crazy. The crowd joined in on the attack. The crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. It's so funny. I'm just going to stop right there. I think sometimes we forget the magnitude of the very thing that we're actually reading. Um, there was a point when reading the Bible, I got bored with God's resume. And I actually stopped reading the thing as a truth and started reading it like as narratives and stories. This is not just narrative and story. This is a real thing. They were beaten with rods, flogged, right? Flogged. After they were flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And they received these orders. He put the, they put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Uh, so... You can only imagine after reading this how tight I got. I'm like, word? Word? I, I answer the call. There are people over there who need me. I'm, I'm running trying to preach this gospel, this truth, this truth, this love, this a gospel of love, the good news. And here I find myself beaten with rods, flogged. Do you know floggings were so severe back then, they actually used to get flogged and they would throw salt on the wounds and people would die simply from that. They find themselves in this place, right? Two faithful servants literally going about their day trying to do the work of God, going through trials unimaginable. Going through trials unimaginable. So, and sometimes we, I think we overholify people in the, in the Bible. Like, you know, like, oh, but, you know, it's okay. He prayed and God is good. I cannot, I can only imagine the level of injustice one would feel if you're literally walking in light, trying to do something beautiful, and you get beaten with rods, flogged, and thrown into prison. I can only imagine the level of injustice, of wrongdoing. I can't imagine how forsaken they might have felt in that moment. Right? I mean, let's be, real, let's be real, real honest. Everyone in here has probably had a moment of feeling forsaken. I feel it often. 
even as much as, as, as much faith that I have, as much blessings that I have, there's something in me that sometimes doesn't understand pain. That doesn't really, that I really don't understand it. So I can only imagine what they felt like. And, and here's, the, here's the deeper kicker. They were thrown into like a prison. This is not a simple jail cell. We're talking a, a, a Philippian prison, right? These prisons were most likely dungeons. Like most likely like lower inner caves, right? This is not normal. Like the, the prison conditions, terrible now, terrible then. Terrible then. So imagine sitting there in a prison Cold, in the pitch, in the pitch dark, pitch dark, right, because there are no lights, probably hungry, still body throbbing from the pain of the beating, probably still bleeding out of your pores from the flogging, sitting there, not really understanding what was happening. I remember first reading this, and I remember I threw my Bible, just flicked it, flicked it in the air, let it drop. I, did, I was like, no, I can't, because I identified with that. I felt like the prodigal son's older brother. No, I've been here. I've been serving. I'm here. I'm doing my thing. Like, why am I going through this pain? Why can't you see me? Why can't you see me? Why is it that the very thing that you're calling me to do is causing me so much pain? I can't imagine what they felt like, right? And then God slapped me in the back of the he was like, all right, you need to chill, pick up the Bible, stop wilding out. Um, and I felt the Spirit of God say, keep reading. Keep reading. And I was like, keep reading. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I was real hard. I'm good with this, son. I'm good with this, done. He was like, keep reading. It's like a friend who tells you to watch a TV show, right? And they go, yo, go on Netflix and watch such and such. And you're like, yo, I watched the first three episodes and I don't really know. But then the friend goes, yo, get past the first season and I promise you, I promise you, you will not regret it. And you're like, all right. And then you get past the first season and season two, you're like, oh, it's lit. And that's how I felt. And that's how I felt. <laughs> that is so real. Anyway, yeah. Um, and that's how I felt. So then I kept reading, and we go to verse 25 and 26. Woo! About midnight. About midnight. Pitch black. Faith probably low. Feeling discouraged. They decide to do something. They decide to do something. They're like, yo, let's sing. First of all, I can't imagine. I don't know who, I don't know who started that conversation. That's my thing. I want to know who, I don't know if it was Paul or Silas. I know whoever started it. I know me. If I was Silas and Paul was like, yo, let's sing. I'm like, bro, I'm bleeding out of my body. <laughs> I do not want to sing. Um. <laughs> Woo, let's turn up. Um, I'm ble- I don't want to sing. Someone started it. I don't know what song it was, but they started singing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose and I started wilding out. I was lit. I did every dance at the time when I read it. I think I did the nene. I think I did the stinky leg. I was fascinated because I was like, whoa, our pain is not in vain, right? 
God doesn't just do things. Everything is ordered. Every step is ordered. Everything, he's, listen, man, all right, as an actor, we do this beautiful thing called a tech rehearsal. If anyone in here knows what a tech rehearsal is, basically it's the last part right before you open a play. And the last part right before you open a play is where the lights come in, the costume comes in, and everything happens. And I remember being uh, in this tech rehearsal, right, for this play that I was doing called Blueprint. And I'm in this tech rehearsal, and my director, she kept saying, yo, uh, step into your light. And I was like, ah, man, because when you're, you know, because you can see Y'all can see something different than I can see right here, right? So she kept, man, step into your light. And I was like, man, I don't I think I'm in my light. She's like, no, 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 step into your light. And I was like, ah, I don't know where my light is. And she came and she physically moved me and put me right where my light was. And I remember I went into my scene and I'm acting. I don't know what I'm doing because when I act, I do this and I'm mad dramatic. So I'm acting, I'm acting, and my acting was taking me forward. And she goes, uh, 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 step into your light. Step into your light. There is something that the director can see and that the director can order that will put you in the place that you need to be that we can't even see. So I am lit. I'm turning up. I'm like, praise is what I do. I'm singing songs. And then God was like, yo, read again. Huh? Huh? What? He said, keep reading. Read it again. And I was like, read it again. I'm like, for what? <laughs> the victory is ours. I'm the head, not the tail. I am highly blessed and highly favored. We are living. <laughs> and him who was to do immeasurably more than all I can ask and imagine. He said, just read it again. He said, read it again. Look again, which is what respect means, right? To look again. He said, respect my word. Look again. My wife taught me that, by the way. Give it up for my wife. She taught me that. I didn't even know that. It's not even in the notes. It just, I saw you looking at me, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see what you taught me. Anyway. Um, <laughs> he said, read it again. And I looked back, and I read it. And I was like, because that's how I read. And then I went to verse 26, and, and it said, suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once... All the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And I said, wait. I said, hold up. Wait a minute. Hold up. Man, I breezed by that because sometimes we want the blessings from God so much that we'll breeze by truth just, just to get what we want. And I said, wait a minute. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And then I immediately started weeping immediately started weeping because at that point I spent my whole life being a victim of my own circumstance that I forgot what my circumstance could do for someone else could do for someone else I was always always constantly being overwhelmed by my calling as opposed to being open to what my circumstances can do for other people i was always worrying what is next for me what is the next gig i'm gonna book when is the next time i'm gonna get a check where am i gonna live where am i gonna eat i feel depressed i feel lonely what is going on with me when the captive next door is screaming out banging banging against the prison walls like man what song are they singing what song are they singing, right? And I realized this, and it changed my life forever. Instead of asking God, why me? I should have been praying, God, who is this for? 
I remember one time I said, God, I remember I was praying. I was like, God, what about me? And he said, what about you? He said, I'm saying what about you because I told you I already got you. There's someone else who needs me. Keep moving. There's someone else who needs me. Keep moving. Instead of asking God, why me? I should have been praying, God, who is this for? Whew. Because the thing, the thing was, is man, I used to be a captive. I used to be a captive. I used to be the person who was next door screaming, ah, what's going to happen? Man, and I praise God that someone moved through their mess and they sang their song so my prison doors can fly open. I remember that and I could never forget it. So this is the thing. I can imagine what it is to be there, right? Imagine what it is. Just sit there. What it must feel like to be sitting in a prison, no food, no water, no lights, pitch black, no sign of hope, faith on empty, and all of a sudden you start hearing a song. You just start hearing it. You don't know what the song is. You don't know what the song is. You've never heard it before, but for some reason you start feeling the ground. It's starting to shake starting to shake a little bit. It's starting to move. And then the concrete, it starts to split. And then dust and debris starts to fall. And then the rusty hinges on this prison door literally starts to crack upon your very eyes. The thing flies open. The Bible said it flew open. And then the very stocks that are on your feet, the very chains that you're on start to crackle, start to snap, start to pop. And then the very thing breaks. And then all of a sudden you have freedom. All of a sudden, you have freedom. All of a sudden, you are free. If we understood the magnitude of what our circumstances can do for other people, we would see freedom beyond our, beyond our mind. God will continue to blow your mind every single day. Thank God Paul and Silas were so rooted in obedience and so rooted in perspective that they chose to sing as opposed to complain. That they chose to sing and pray through the, through the trial, through the, air, through, the, through the pain. And then at that point, I was like, "Woo! all right, I got it. I got, you. I got the word. I'm good. I'm overwhelmed. I closed the Bible. I put it, I just put it aside. I said, I'm good. And then I heard it. I heard it. And God was like, keep reading. He said, keep reading. I said, keep reading. He said, keep reading. And then I go to verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, in this culture, that was punishable by death. If you are a jailer watching and guarding out and the prisoners left, he could have been killed. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought, and he brought to them and he, he shouted out. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Woo! What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And to all the others in the house, and at that hour and in that night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. Everyone in the house. Mama, sister, brother, sister, baby, daddy's cousin, everybody got dipped in the water. 
The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And then I realized that the song that was sung doesn't just provide freedom for you. It doesn't even just provide freedom for the captive next door. It even provides freedom for the one who imprisoned you in the first place. For the one who imprisoned you in the first place. And uh, because even the people who are hating on you, they're captives too. They're captives too. The one who's holding you down, locking you up, the one who's not speaking into your life, they're captives too. And there's something simple about all three, right? The person who is singing the song, who is doing God's work and is going through turmoil, the captive next door, and the one who imprisoned you, they have one thing in common. They all need freedom. They all need freedom. So then I go back to this uh, original question. We can have the team come back up because this is, we can have the team come back up. Uh, And the question was, why should we sing our song in the midst of turmoil and suffering? And I think for three reasons. I think one, the captive is listening, right? The captive is listening. I think right now in our workplaces, right now in our church, right now in your household, there is someone who is a captive right next to you and they're watching you go through your trials, your tribulations, your pain, your suffering, your insecurities and they're like, man, and they're leaned in and they're like, and they're listening. How would you operate now in your suffering if you knew there's a captive right now listening? How would you operate? And this is not to take away your pain. This is not to say, this is not to say that your suffering doesn't mean anything. God sees it. First of all, let me just say that God sees you. God saw them. God saw them there. The captive is listening. Number two, the captive is chained. You never know what someone is going through who is right next to you. You literally never know. And you never know what the smallest gesture of love and how that can break someone open. You have no idea. You have no idea what a dollar for a homeless person can do. I'll never forget, when I was living in Washington Heights, there was this one homeless man named, uh, his name was Ricky. I'll never forget him. His name was Ricky, and one day I was walking, and, you know, I had like a $5 bill, and I didn't want to break it. You know, when you're so selfish, you're like, oh, you know, I know I got money, but I don't want to break my five to give it to you, although you're less fortunate, right? We all go through it. Um, God, for some reason, told me, give him, this, give him this $5 bill, and I gave him the $5 bill, and I realized that wasn't enough, but God wasn't like, hey, give him more money. He was like, just pray for him. And I said, Ricky, can I pray for you? And I prayed for him, and he literally fell to his knees and weeped for 15 minutes right on 157th Street in Broadway. And I could have done that, and I could have left, and I just sat there with him. I sat there with him. I saw him two months after that. He was still struggling, still going through things. I kept praying for him, kept praying for him, saw him again. And he was like, yo, Carvins, Carvins, like, oh, my God, it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you. And I said, hey, Ricky, how you doing? He's like, man, I got an apartment. I'm like, what? 
He said, yeah, I live right on 145th Street. I don't know what it was, but man, you prayed for me. You just kept telling me to lift God's name up. So I kept doing it and I kept doing it. And all of a sudden, uh, government assistance came in and now I got food and now I got everything. I'm telling you, you never know what the person who is chained next to you has gone through. That's someone right now in your workplace, in your workplace, someone who you're salty about, who you don't even really like, going through pain, going through pain. They are chained right now, and they're just waiting for someone's song. And then the third thing, the captive is in need of a relationship. It's so funny that the first thing the jailer said is, what can I do? He said, I I heard you, and I saw you singing a song, and everything started to break I don't know what that power is. What can I do to know the God you know? What can I do to know the God you know? Something that just recently happened that blew my mind is, uh, you know, Hamilton is beautiful because it just reaches the world. And, you know, there'll be, there'll be fans who see the show. And then sometimes they'll hit me up and they'll contact me. And this one fan hit me up on, um, on Instagram. And he said, uh, I'm an atheist. I was like, well, okay, all right. He said, I'm an atheist. Just want to say that. Just want to put that out there. But man, there's something about your story. Something about your narrative. That just keeps speaking to me. I hope you well. I hope you well. And I was like, man, should I hit him back? And I hit him back. And he hit me up and he said, man, thank you so much. Thank you so much for hitting me back. Just want to say I want to send you love. Can't wait to see you in the show again. I don't know what God is about to do to that, but God's going to do something to that. Because there is something undeniable about seeing a powerful relationship with God and it manifesting in supernatural ways that even people who adhere to no faith can see it. You can deny all you want, but an earthquake moves. You can stay blind all you want to, but you can see a jail cell. Experience will always trump what you're trying to create in your mind. Last thing, and this is something that's really uh, personal. I've only shared this with with, uh, two people. Um, As we close up, in 2000, uh, I think 12, I was was touring. And uh, who? I was touring and I was doing this show and I remember this particular show. I was like, man, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. Man, I'm exhausted. I was literally full-time in school, full-time touring. I was doing essays and papers in college on the plane. And I remember this show I did not want to do. And uh, I did this show and, you know, we do our thing. This is with my group called The Strivers Row. And we, we, we did this gig. And then after the gig, this young man comes up to me. And he's crying and he's crying and I'm like, what's going on? He said, listen, man, I've been going through a really tough time and I just want to thank y'all. You, got, you, you helped me. You helped me a lot. You know, I thought nothing of it. Um, maybe about, I think, nine or ten months later, he sends this letter to my manager. He sends this letter right now to my manager. This is literally the first time I've read this in public. So forgive me. So he writes to the group, Dear Strivers, In November of last year, I was privileged enough to meet Carvins, Jasmine, and Miles and perform before them as an introductory poet at Western Carolina University. After the show, y'all saved my life. And when I say that, I mean it absolutely literally. I had attempted suicide again the week before, 
and I planned to attempt suicide again that night after the show. Because I felt like there was nothing left to do in my life. He said, Carvin's hugged me. He just hugged me and listened to my story and told me that my life was actually worth living and that I had so much more good to spread and that so many lives to save. And hearing that from him was the first time I really believed it since I was a child. At the end of that night, when I asked you to sign my ticket, Jasmine wrote, thank you for sharing this moment with me and, have, and to have an incredible person and such a powerful poet write that, sealed it for me. Carvins wrote, your life is worth living. Strive. You will save lives, I promise. I reread it a thousand times and a thousand times, and I kept that ticket on my desk, and I read it every day, and I woke up every night before I went to bed, and slowly, with more than one slip and fall along the way, I climbed out of one of the deepest pits of depression I had ever experienced. And you know what? I made it. I made it because you gave me the courage to push and to find the light within myself and you gave me the courage to finally start loving myself and here I am nine months later and I am alive and I am well. Thank you, Strivers. He says, thank you from the bottom of my heart because that night is etched into my memory as one of the best nights I've ever had. I just wanted to remind you that the work you was doing is incredibly meaningful. Never stop striving. And I'll do my best not to either. I promise. I think God right now wants to say to somebody, the work you're doing is incredibly meaningful. It's incredibly meaningful. You have no idea who you are touching. You have no idea the prisons that you are breaking. So the question is, what prison are you in right now that you feel? The call that is on your life right now that you're going through. I don't know if you're in broken relationships. I don't know if it is a family that you're not connected to. I don't know if you're going through financial struggle right now. The question is, what song are you singing that the captive next door needs? What song are you singing? What song are you singing? Because I tell you, there are many songs. You don't need a platform for a song. You don't need lights. You don't need cameras. You don't need any of that for the song to be effective. Because I'm telling you right now that there's someone right now who is near you who is going through a deep, deep depression. And right now, they need a song of kindness just to hit them. Right now, there's someone who is right next to you who, who may be going through uh, insecurities. And all they need is, a, is a, a loving hand and a loving word. And that is the song for the captive next door. There is someone right now who needs the song of love, who needs the song of healing that you have, who needs the song of praise that you have, that needs the song of, of inspiration that you have, that needs the song of, of power that you have, that God has placed inside you. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten the person who is next to you. And God wants to save the person who's causing you pain. God, we love you. We thank you. Come on, let's give God a praise right now. God, we love you. We thank you. God, we love you. We thank you. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. 
And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, BridgeChurchNYC.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.